If I ask the kids in the room a question, I bet I'm going to get the same answer from every kid. What are you excited about tomorrow morning? Oh, whatever. You mean the presents. Y'all played me right there. You, you, you mean the presents. I got it out of some, right? Oh, Jesus' birthday. That's right. That's why we get gifts. You know, um, the best presents are the ones that we get that we didn't ask for. The ones that we, we didn't even know we wanted. The ones we didn't know we needed. Those are the real surprises. I mean, it's not off the list. Uh, when you get a present... And, and you see the present and the value of the present and the, how special the present is, how much thought went into it. And sometimes it can even make you feel undeserving. I remember when I was a kid, I asked for a bicycle. And that was probably like, I was hard on bicycles. So um, it was probably like an every other year thing. And I asked for a bicycle. And I remember I came down the steps and under the tree there was a motorcycle helmet. And I see that helmet, and I'm like, eh, I, don't, I mean, like that, that's a bit overkill for a bicycle. And my parents take me out in the garage, and out in the garage was a Honda XR80. And my family, we, we didn't have a lot of money, and so my, family, my, my, my mom and dad worked hard, and they did, they did okay. But this was like, this wasn't a normal present. This was an above and beyond present. And here is this Honda XR80. And, and I didn't know. I didn't know that's what I, I wanted. That's not what I asked for. Let me tell you what, that present changed my life. You're like, a motorcycle changed your life? Absolutely. Let me tell you, let me tell you why. There's a motorcycle, there's a, there's a Beta 300RR in my garage now. I became a dirt bike guy when I got that present. I, I didn't know I wanted it. When I got it and I learned to ride it, I did not feel worthy of it. I was truly surprised. A few years ago, my boys, uh, John Owen was 10. Christmas morning, they come down the steps, and right there inside the house at the front door sat two motorcycles. And not only does that present change my life, but it changed my boys' life. And now both of my boys love to ride motorcycles. It's the best presents are those that you don't ask for, that come at a deep felt surprise. So here's what I want, I want you to see. Those gifts that you don't ask for, those are the good gifts. My big idea today as we open up God's Word and we look at it is this, that this is kind of cheesy, but I think we like cheesy at Christmas, and it's this, that Jesus is the greatest gift ever given. Jesus is the greatest gift ever given. We're going to open up to the book of Luke. Chapter 2, and in, in Luke, we're going through the book of Luke in our church. We started it uh, several weeks ago, right after Thanksgiving. We started in the Advent season. We started the book of Luke, and we're, we're actually going to preach through uh, the book of Luke. And it will probably take all year, maybe even more, for us to, to preach through the book of Luke. And so we're just continuing where we are in uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. And so... Here's what the word of the Lord says. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. 
And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. So want us to look back at verse 2 as we focus in on that. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Here's my first big idea that I want to show you. It's, that, it's this, that there's only one Savior, and his name is Jesus. Caesar was not the Savior. Notice he, he starts out with this birth narrative, and he, and, he, and he brings Caesar Augustus into the picture. That Caesar Augustus, he was the emperor of Rome, and he decreed that all the world should, should be registered. And so he wanted to collect taxes. That's the reality. He wanted to, this census to come in to, to collect taxes. Um, Luke, who is writing this, is a Gentile believer of we look at the, the Gospels in the Bible, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke is the only one that's not written by a Jewish person. He's a Gentile. He's a second-generation Christian. It's the only book in the New Testament, by the way, that, that we, we know for sure was written by a Gentile. And so Luke would have understood Roman culture. Uh, Luke, Luke was from, he was uh, Antiochian, so he was from Antioch, which was the capital of Rome in Persia. And so in that area, he would have known and he would have very well understood Roman cu culture. And so he brings into this Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus had, he's seen as really uh, a, a great emperor in the eyes of the, the, the Roman people. Um, his, his predecessor was his uncle, uh, Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar had a long reign, and it was, it was actually his great uncle, Ju Julius Caesar, then adopts Caesar Augustus and makes it his, his adoptive son so that he could take over after he died. And so Luke throws us this detail, and here's why he throws it to us. When Caesar Augustus was reigning, he and the Senate, because of a cult of people, a group of people, they believed that Julius Caesar, when he died, became a god. They believed that, basically... Julius Caesar ascended into the throne, and from the throne ascended to be God. And so this new thing would happen, that when the emperor of Rome would die, they would no longer be considered dead. They would, they would be considered a deity, a god. Now, this was kind of self-serving for Caesar Augustus. You know why? Because that meant that when Caesar died, Caesar Augustus died, he would be celebrated as a god. He would, be, he would be deified. He would be uh, a deity. Now, here's the truth of the situation. Do you know what happened to Caesar Augustus after he died? Three days later, do you know what happened? 
He stayed dead. Nothing happened. He didn't become a god. The next person took over the throne. And so Luke, being, being this Gentile writer, we often think we, we often hear about the advent of Christ, and we think about the advent of Christ. We, we think of it from the, the, the most Jewish writers in the Bible. We think of it in terms of God's chosen people in the Old Testament who were waiting on a Messiah to come. They were looking for a Savior. But the Greek-minded people or the Roman people, they weren't, they weren't sitting around waiting for a Savior. They thought they had a Savior. It was the Roman government that was in charge. They, they, had, they had privilege because it was, it was um, their, their rulers who were in charge. So if a Roman person is, is reading this, a Roman person isn't sitting around looking for a Savior. They're, they're not looking for a Messiah to come. Luke's writing this around AD 62. So years after Caesar's death. Caesar died in, in, in 14. Um, 14 uh, AD. So 14 years after Christ. Christ would have been a teenager when Julius Caesar died. And so he's writing this knowing that here's this man who ascribed to, who, who wanted to become a deity. That was what he wanted. That man's now dead. There's only one Savior, and his name is Jesus. Keep going, verse 3. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Here's the next thing I want to show you. Here's the next big idea. Is that God fulfills all of his promises. In this one passage right here, we're going to see three, three promises, three, three prophecies from um, re really one that's a collection of what happened in the Old, Old Testament and two that are direct uh, quotations from something that would happen in the Old Testament. And he uses Caesar Augustus, the Roman emperor, to fulfill his promises. God is sovereign over earthly rulers. Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords. Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. And so here's the three things I want to point out to you that happen. So he wants to... He, he wants this registration, each to register to his own town to do this census. And so this, this is purely a power play and a tax play. And so there's some things that never change. And politicians, government, taxing people is one of the things that never changes. All right? I, I heard somebody say yesterday or two days ago that man, it's so cold that politicians have their hands in their own pockets. I was like, man, that's cold. Um, as they were signing, what, like some $1.5 trillion? Anyway, uh, that wasn't true. Uh, here's what he does. So he, he's get, he gets this census together. And it says, Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth. So, that Jesus would come from Nazareth. There's the first thing we're going to look at. To Judea, the city of David, which is Bethlehem. 
And so we're going to see uh, that it, Bethlehem was also important because he was of the house and lineage of David. There's the third thing. In the book of, in the book of John, and John's telling the story of the gospel. This is in the New Testament, and there, these, Jesus, this is later on. Um, Jesus is, is calling people to come and follow him. And this is a cool story. He's, he's, he's saying, hey, come and follow me. And Philip, who we're going to see in Scripture, man, when Philip follows Jesus, Philip is all in. And Philip follows Jesus. Uh, we're going to remember, if you think of the book of Acts, the Ethiopian eunuch, when he comes to the Lord, it's Philip who leads him to the Lord. And so Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, and he's quoting here, he's quoting a passage. He says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. What's thought here is that when Nathaniel is, is quoting this, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It's actually a collection of quotes from the Old Testament, a, a belief about Nazareth. Nazareth was considered to be a lowly town, a, a not good town. People saw Nazareth and they looked down on it, right? They, they, they looked at Nazareth and, and, and they, they, would, they, they despised the people there. They didn't like the people there. You know, it's very much... How Boulder looks at Greeley, right? Can anything good come out of Greeley? Now, as Fort Collins folks, we would never say anything like that. Boulder folks say stuff like that, right? Um, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And yet, who's coming out of Nazareth? Jesus is coming out of Nazareth. Here's the second thing. Micah. 5-2. This is in the Old Testament. This is, one of the, this is one of the prophets in the Old Testament. We read this passage to, to start. It says this, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. And so Micah prophesies, Hey, out of Bethlehem is going to come Jesus. So, now, Joseph and Mary were from Nazareth. Because of the census, they come to Bethlehem. But they will eventually end up back in Nazareth where, where they will raise Jesus. So, just in the census, God is making both of his prophecies come true. That from this little among the clans, this little Bethlehem, God, God, once again, using the small, foolish things of the world to shame the wise is going to come. But there's also here something else in the book of Isaiah, chapter 11. Isaiah prophesies. And Isaiah, Isaiah actually, there's a lot of prophecies from the book of Isaiah that are fulfilled in the New Testament, the coming of Jesus. But in chapter 11, he says this, There shall come forth a shoot... From the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. And so here it was prophesied in the book of Isaiah that from Jesse's seed, now Jesse had a bunch of sons, and when it came time to, for, for King Saul, they were fighting the Philistines, and they were, they were needing a warrior to fight Goliath. And 
Uh, it was told to Saul by Samuel, hey, you need to go to Jesse. Out of Jesse's tribe, there will come a warrior that will fight and be able to defeat Goliath. And if you remember in the Old Testament, if you remember the story of David and Goliath, all of Jesse's brothers were looked at, but David wasn't. He was too little. He was despised, actually, by his brothers, looked down on by his brothers. He was left in the, in the fields to shepherd the flocks while they fought in battle. And the Lord takes David and says, no, David is the one who would defeat Goliath. And so from Jesse's shoot comes David. And so notice in that passage that it says that this is going to be in the lineage of David from the tribe of Judah. And this is what we also know, that Jesus would come from the lineage of David, the tribe of Judah. And so here, God is using the heart of the king to fulfill his promises. All his promises are found to be true in Jesus. We look, we look at the Old Testament and there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of promises that, that come true in the birth, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Now, I'll tell you this. We read the rest of the Bible, read the New Testament, get the book of Revelation, there's a whole bunch more prophecies. Prophecies have been fulfilled in the first coming of Jesus, but there are prophecies that will be fulfilled in the second coming of Jesus. And so, it's good news that all of God's promises will be fulfilled. We'll keep going in verse 6. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And so here's the next big idea is that Jesus humbled himself and descended to the manger to redeem his people. Jesus humbled himself. I want you to see what Luke did for us as he painted this picture. You see, Caesar ascended to the throne. He, he worked his way into the throne. There was actually, if you, if you read the history of, of Caesar Augustus, uh, he, he had to do a lot of work to get to the throne. He actually had to, had to, uh, to fight Mark Anthony. He, he had to, to fight, uh, there's, there's ties to Cleopatra, there's ties to Egypt. He had to, to, to fight to get there. He ascended to the throne, and so his idea was that he was going to ascend to be a deity. But the opposite is true of Jesus. Jesus was king. Jesus was sitting on the throne, and Jesus descended. I want you to understand something here. He's shown us that God became man, not the other way around. Man can't ascend to be God. God became man. The picture here is that Jesus left his heavenly throne and was born to an earthly manger so that we could have heavenly mansions with him in glory. He's leaving his throne. He's coming here. He's coming uh, to the earth, born to a manger. And, and man, we know we hear so much of what it is, what that manger scene would have looked like. There's, uh, scholars have so many different opinions on uh, what that would have looked like. I, I tend to fall in the camp to think that that inn was actually, uh, the, the word there, it would be a family member's house. And that they would have come to a family member's house because it was the census, everybody coming in. And that there was no room, right? It's not like they were the only people sleeping in bad circumstances. It meant lots of people were sleeping. 
right? And so they're outside the, the home. They're in the area where the animals would have been kept. They lived with their animals, so it would be literally in, in, in the immediate area surrounding their house. And what we do know of that manger is it is a place where animals would have been fed. And we know that they, they, were, they were traveling. We know that they were not wealthy. We know this was, a, this was Mary, a young girl who's not even married, but betrothed, engaged to her husband. And it's not that they have, they have needs. So this is not a noble birth. This is a birth where animals are watching. This is a, a bloody, hard birth where they took that baby and they wrapped it in just, just strands of cloth. That's what swaddling clothes were. They, were, they would swaddle a baby with just uh, strands of cloth. They would swaddle the baby. They would wrap the baby. And that baby, Jesus, was, was laid in that manger. And so when we think of, if we were writing our own story, we would not say that the Savior of the world, that the, the King of kings and Lord of lords would be born this kind of birth. We would think of a noble birth. But yet this is the birth that Jesus chose. And he did it to redeem us. Jesus humbled himself and descended to a manger to redeem his people, to save us from our sin, to save us from the mire. Uh, the Apostle Paul, he writes this in the book of Philippians. He says, chapter 2, verse 5, this is in the, the New Testament. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself. Isn't that beautiful? That he humbled himself, that the, the king of kings and lord of lords humbles himself. But he doesn't just do it to the manger. He doesn't stop there. The, the story of Jesus, the, thing, the, the, the gift that we celebrate at Christmas, doesn't stop in the manger because Jesus goes and he grows as a boy. And he becomes a man. And as he starts his ministry, he goes around preaching and teaching. He, he commands, he, he gives these commands in Scripture. And he, not, he teaches not like other teachers had, had taught before, but with authority and with power. And people listened and they followed as he called them to. So this is what it says. He, he lived this perfect life, and he, and he humbled himself not just to the manger, but to the cross. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And so here's the next big idea is that we must humble ourselves and receive the greatest gift ever given, Jesus. I want you to understand something. Jesus is the gift you need that you didn't know you needed. Jesus is the gift that you receive and know that you don't deserve. And maybe, maybe you came here today. And, and you just came to a church because it, it's, it's Christmas. It's Christmas Eve. And that's what your family is doing. That's what, that's what traditions would say that you, you're doing. And you weren't looking for Jesus. But I want you to know something. Just as Jesus ruled in uh, 
use and use in his reign and use Caesar so he's used circumstances to bring you here to hear the gospel. And maybe, just maybe, that today the Lord is moving in your heart. And maybe today that you would see that he's the gift that you didn't know that you needed. Jesus said this. He said, if anyone would come after me, he would deny himself. He would deny himself. You know, Caesar Augustus, Augustus would not deny himself. He wouldn't deny himself. He wouldn't follow. You know why? Because like any emperor, like any king, he would know, no, I'm the king. I am the boss. I want you to know something. That's how we live. That's what our hearts do. Our hearts say, no, we're the emperor. We're the king. We're the Lord. So Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, would deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In the book of Romans, Paul says it this way. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that means you're saying, no, I'm not king. I'm not, a, I'm not ascending to my own throne. I'm not trying to ascribe to be God, but I'm submitting myself to God. I'm saying, no, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is king. If, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised his son from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus said this in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus is the greatest gift ever given. And today I invite you to follow Jesus and be saved. Humble yourself. Take yourself off your throne and put Jesus on his throne and worship him today. I'm going to ask the band to come back up and, and start playing. It's a tradition at Christmas that we sing in our song of response that we light a candle. And that candle's symbolic. That candle's symbolic. It's saying, the light has come. That the gift has come. And so what we're doing as a group today is we light this candle and we pass it back. We'll light it up here and we'll just pass it back. As you get it, turn it down the aisles so that everybody lights the candle. We're, we're singing, the gift has come. The light has come. So Father, we come to you today. Lord, thanking you for sending your son Jesus. Humbling him. Sending him to the cross. Sending him to the manger. Wrapped in those, those swaddling clothes, Lord, that he would live this life, this perfect and spotless life, and be without sin, unlike us. And that he would die on the cross for the sins that we committed. And Lord, that, that he then again would be wrapped in those linen cloths, those burial cloths, and put in that borrowed tomb. But Lord, that he did not stay dead, but on the third day you raised him from the dead. And so, Lord, today I pray that you grant faith, that you grant belief, that we would believe the good news of the gospel, and that we would receive the greatest gift ever given. Lord, we thank you for the gift of Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing a song of response.